0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show, He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Well, thank you kindly, sir. And he's here to say good afternoon. And on this uh, largely overcast Tuesday for the 10th day of October, let me welcome you into another edition of Lifeline. Here with you each weekday from 5 till 7, addressing issues that impact your life. And your world. I want to start though by rolling back the clock to Friday of last week and giving a big shout out to the folks there at um, Hillside Church of San Jose. And uh, what a delightful uh, time we had with uh, Dr. Keith Crosby and the entire crew, and of course, his lovely daughter, Grace Utomo. We had a chance to talk about her life-changing experience following a um, pretty severe automobile accident a few years ago. And if you heard the broadcast, well, I'm sure you were blessed. If you missed Friday's program, um, I hope you have an excuse from your doctor. No. <laughs> if you missed friday's program check out the podcast if you go to the lifeline page that has the heavily airbrush photograph of me taken probably when i was still in high school you can click on that and uh, then check out the lifeline podcast page and invite you to tune in and uh, join us for that conversation from last friday with grace sutomos we talked about her new book walking with grace embracing god's goodness in trauma it was an amazing conversation And what a what a delight, uh, delightful uh, young lady and uh, delightful folks to be uh, spending some time with. All right. I want to turn a corner to a topic that uh, we're probably going to get pretty overwhelmed with here uh, over not too long. And and, in large part, because information coming in out of Israel is like drinking through a fire hose in the last 48 hours in the heels of this surprise attack by the terrorist group Hamas against innocent civilians in Israel. And uh, there's so much here to unpack from how did this happen? How does it slip below the radar screen of what has been uh, lauded as one of the sharpest intelligence agencies of any nation on the planet? And whether or not this is going to be a long haul, will it be akin to the Six-Day War back in 1973, or could this be protracted? And one of the reasons why I'm concerned about the potentiality of this being a protracted, drug-out war. Um, I'll get to, in my first question for our guest tonight, but first let me have the privilege of introducing to you Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a publisher. She is the creator of Reimagine America, a longtime radio talk show host. You've heard her on this program and others many, many times down through the years. Joyce prides herself on offering context rather than just commentary on government dysfunction based on 30 years of hands-on experience managing businesses and engaged in business transformation activities. And uh, Joyce, we had initially scheduled this conversation to talk about some political issues Issues, and we'll undoubtedly uh, get to that as time allows. But uh, I think you're also uniquely qualified to help us at least somewhat wrap our minds around this absolutely senseless act of violence over the weekend. And I, I guess the, the, the first question I have, based on your understanding, your reading of what we're seeing going on here, um, part of me says, well, this is the result of years, obviously, of planning, years and years and decades of frustration between Palestinians, residents of Gaza, and Israel, but the other big question is, I somehow have this very dark feeling that we're looking at a degree of a proxy war taking place here, knowing that it has all the hallmarks, certainly, of Iran all over it, and where Iran is, I've got to believe, not too far behind is Moscow. What do you think?
0: Exactly exactly and and we will get to domestic politics because our internal strife you know I, i'm not a great believer i'm, I'm a very cynical businesswoman right I'm, i don't believe too much in coincidence so we topple for the first time in our history as speaker of the house we have this tumultuous um you know dysfunctional house of representatives for over a year but the minute that catalyst was popped last week. We had a massive civilian casualty event in Ukraine. And two days later, Hamas comes across the border and murders a thousand Israelis. Beheaded, two-month-old babies. That's. I mean, there has not been a loss of life equivalent to what happened Saturday, of Jewish life and there are way too many similarities burning people alive in their homes machine gunning them there are way too many similarities and as the daughter of Holocaust Refugees—it's way too close to home for me.
1: Yeah, understandably so. And and looking at the degree of just how widespread and coordinated the brutality was, um, many minds, including my own, went there thinking, "Boy, this this there is a level of hatred and angst that's being played out here." You know, we oftentimes kind of see the resistance, quote unquote, uh, acts of terrorism that have been uh, carried out by Hamas and the PLO before it as, you know, largely being under-trained, under um, frustrated people. Um, you often see, you know, recruiting going on amongst early 20-something-year-old men who, uh, you know, don't have an education, largely don't have any real visible means of employment to uh, meet their needs or care for a family. And so it's easy to sort of stoke anger and frustration and be able to capitalize on that. And, and that certainly that that approach is nothing new. We saw it uh, take place in our own country. We've seen it certainly take place historically in Nazi Germany, coming off of the impact of uh, World War One. And so the notion of going in and 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 essentially using this anger as a platform to drive people to do um, horrific acts is nothing new. I, I think, though, what really surprised everybody here was just how widespread this was, and that in. In fact, this has all the harm marks of being a very well thought out, extremely uh, coordinated attack. And I I thought the interesting thing was, you know, immediately what came to mind when I first heard news of this, I thought, well, where where is the IDF in this? Why why were they caught by surprise? And it seems as if even that detail was very closely calculated by Hamas. Well, the
0: the IDF. Was there at the border, and the IDF took a lot of casualties in in the initial um, invasion. But where was the Mossad? Where was the 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 renowned, you know, reputed um, Israeli intelligence service? And oh, by the way, where was the very expensive intelligence service we pay for? And Jim Hines, the congressman. Uh, today, I think, may have put his finger on it that one of the things we missed in 9/11 was the amount of uh, of, of of old fashioned human uh, spying that that Al Qaeda uh, they used messengers. They didn't use cell phones. They didn't use modern communications. They used messengers to transfer. We have a lot of tunnels. Between um, Gaza and and the southern, you know, the Negev Desert, which is where all these kibbutz are, and and so those tunnels are two hundred feet underground and they're not visible. But why we didn't see things like training for paragliders and why that didn't cause anybody to stop and scratch their heads? Sometimes when you look at all the in ads, you never get to finding the cushion that connects them all, and I think that's part of it. So there will be quite a post-mortem, um, but you, one of the things that we need to focus on when we talk about, well, we have to decapitate Hamas, we have to, you know, blah, 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 you know, it's not just 150 Israeli hostages or the 1,400 casualties, etc. It is almost 2 million Palestinians who have been corralled into this densely populated area, and to your point, half of them are under the age of twenty, and so they don't have any prospects. They don't have any education. They don't get any kind of education except the Madras, you know, that teaches them to hate at this level. Same, you know, this is this is Al Qaeda. This is ISIS on steroids and this has got all the hallmarks of Iran being in, in, in being one of the puppeteers along with Moscow both of whom have influence in Gaza and both of whom are the principal funders of Hamas and so we we can't separate any of these events the the instability the weakness um, the internal, frictions in our in our society as the superpower of the world give when when we're distracted as we are now and as we are struggling as we're going to talk later with with deficits and finances and and how to rebuild our own military right so that we can fight a two this is now going to be a three-pronged war this is going to be, a protracted effort in in uh, Gaza, God forbid, and and where do we send these the innocents there too? The Palestinian people in Gaza are just as much hostages as are the Israelis they've captured, and and that's something that that we need to address in a more positive and humanitarian way than what we're seeing in the streets of america when you know third and fourth generation americans you know i don't think of myself as an as, as I'm, I'm a practicing jew but you know i'm i'm a hundred percent red white and blue i'm not as you know i've been in israel i'm not a zionist you know I, i'm not concerned with the right of return i'm, I'm concerned with You know what's the right thing for america to do and and we need to exercise our moral authority as well as our military might in preventing unnecessary casualties among the palestinian civilian population and we've got to push harder for a rational solution you can't have this old piece of gaza Stuck over here with these people in this the densest population in the world. All right, and the West Bank, and you have the Negev Desert with all these kibbutz in the middle. There needs to be a permanent solution, and I'm, I'm not an optimist saying that it will come out of this. but this is not going to be over in six
1: days. Yeah, I have to concur with you. And, of course, this is doubly complicated because uh, it's not just this issue that's taking place that's now adding to to sort of the, the distractions that the West must face. But this is already on top of what is heading toward the second year um, or a year, rather, of engagement in relationship to Ukraine and uh, no promise of that ending at any time soon. And, and it is um, I. I think notable that... You know, it's easy to sit back and say, well, you know, everybody's gone online now and and that's the new frontier for a battlefield. And so rather than sending spies and agents out to keep their ear on the ground and see what chatter is going on, we're just going to monitor. We'll set up a room somewhere at Quantico and monitor uh, Internet traffic. Well, as was demonstrated here in this Israeli intelligence disaster, um, just because they're not making noise above ground or on the Internet doesn't mean the noise. Is not there. And clearly, the more uh, quote unquote sophisticated modern communication channels went dark. But we're not dealing with people that are stupid either. They know that, hey, if you can't put it out over the Internet, you can pass the note, you know, secretly in hiding places and, and still communicate. It may not be as quick. It may not be as efficient. But in the end, um, it can be effective. And that clearly is what's transpired here. The, the other concern, too, I want to talk about when we come back after a break um, Joyce, And that is the sense that um, whether or not we ought to be on significant heightened awareness, because we've kind of been lackadaisical in the response to Russia's attack of Ukraine, even. Even members of the grand old party that wanted to see the demise of the Soviet Union and applauded the end of the tyranny of Russia um, have been somewhat soft on Putin's actions. Uh, tragically not unlike the softness of Britain on Hitler's actions as he added territory. After Remember, it was just going to be the Sudetenland. That's all we wanted. And before you knew it, Czechoslovakia ceased to exist. And then once again, they had militarized uh, the eastern section of the Rhine River. And on and on it went. Before you know it, that was the end of, of Warsaw. And um, I, I just continue to think that um, at the point at which Putin gets his way, And if we don't stand up, he will get his way. Don't anybody think for a moment that he'll be one and done. There's already a track record to prove that theory wrong anyway. But the notion of emboldening our enemies to say, well, you know what? The United States proved they're not going to act. China's got a vested interest in this going on. And so if nobody's going to stand up and put their foot down and say no way, uh, then what's to prevent them from engaging in further nefarious activities up to and including even the the risk, and I know we haven't seen it in 22 years, but let's never forget the events of September of 2001, and the real possibility that, you know, it's not impossible that that could happen again, and some of the braggadocia by certain politicians that we've ended ISIS, yeah, well, as of this weekend, they've come roaring back, apparently. Tragic. Joyce Cordy with us today, publisher of Reimagine America. We'll take a time out. We'll come back with more of our analysis of the events occurring in the Middle East on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. Uh, we are trying to make sense out of the senseless, which I know is largely not uh, not always advisable. And yet here we find ourselves on the heels of this uh, tragic attack on Israel that occurred over the weekend. And as we're talking today with uh, longtime radio talk show host and publisher of Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy, uh, there are simply no easy answers as to what all are um, contributory i to this action by Hamas, uh, but it certainly goes within the lines of the long-term history of these acts of violence. And I understand, let me put the pause in here, I understand that there's a lot of frustration over uh, some of the occupied territories. I understand that there are many Palestinians that feel as if they are not being heard. Um, And and while I, I get the fact that that can lead to great degrees of frustration, something like this is not the answer and that's because if anything uh, we know of Israel uh, she will protect herself and if you come at her full force she'll come back at you twice as much force and uh, therefore I think the reason why as as even our guest has suggested tonight this is not going to be a quick answer and I think further complicated by the fact that there's feelings of all of these third party characters looming in the background and I guess one of the big questions questions is the notion that we're America in a different position today if global opinion about the disarray that our political, uh, our body politic is in and and the fact that there has not been, you know, there's been sort of this casual, uh, yeah, of course, we support Ukraine sort of um, uh, way of handling things. And that's equally, I think, uh, true of the United States as it is Europe. Uh, I've got got to wonder if 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 the lack of of bold action or clear decisive political leadership and i don't mean turmoil style i mean ronald reagan ike eisenhower style political leadership if that doesn't encourage our enemies to say you know what there's a good chance we could pull this off and America won't. She'll she'll make noises and there'll be press conferences and speeches made. But at the end of the day, she's not going to raise a finger. And therefore, we can essentially get away with this. Do you think that at all is the attitude here? And is this demonstrative of the notion that, we didn't defeat ISIS. ISIS might have gone underground. ISIS might have had its tail and head cut off, but there was still a heartbeat somewhere in there, and she's come roaring back in the form of this attack over the weekend. Do you think that's true?
0: Yep. Yep. I think everything you just said is absolutely accurate. I think I think the mistake we made in Ukraine was that we didn't go... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not in favor of boots on the ground. I understand the cautions, et cetera. I understand even the fear of the force of the Joint Chiefs. Oh, well, you know, the Russians are going to overrun. Them. Recognize that they beat them off at Kiev. We should have gone full board to say, OK, we are going to do what needs to be done for this little nation to kick, you know, Putin, whatever back into across his own border. Um, and we didn't do that. We've been very incremental. And the more incremental we've become and the more that as we will end up talking before we finish the hour a little domestic politics, the moment that that Trump said, Well, you know, I could fix this in twenty four hours, all of a sudden you start to see the, the Republicans in Congress in the House starting to peel off where today a a significant number of them have said, No, we we won't sign off on a uh, supplemental that is both for Israel and Ukraine. We'll, we'll give Israel help now, but but no, we're we're gonna we're gonna wait with Ukraine, um, and and that's the wrong answer. That's an invitation for China to decide, especially when your biggest and best fleet is now in the uh, uh, strike force is now. Seeming into the Mediterranean to support Israel. This now is a real opening for China to start to make noise around Taiwan or some of the contested islands off the Philippines. You know, the weakness begets trouble. You know, we knew that at the end of World War II, we seem to have forgotten that lesson. That is another factor in both the Ukrainian invasion and in what happened in Israel, is that we have gotten so comfy. You know, it couldn't happen, comfy. We've, we've forgotten t- that history repeats itself if we don't remember it. And so, yes, I, th- I think I think the, the hullabaloo in Congress, the instability, the, the in- unwillingness in certain quarters of the Republican House and I put majority in quotes, little air quotes here. here, um, is an invitation to this kind of mischief. But this time they've this time Hamas has invited, um, you know, real retribution and that will lead to yet more violence.
1: Well, yes, it certainly will because it gets sets up, as I suggested in my opening remarks, this proxy war and 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 you've got to know, I mean here here is effectively a third world country. Uh, they don't really have a, a an economy to speak of and, and and part of these reasons, by the way, are also contributory to the frustration. But that said, they are able to, in a very clandestine fashion, plot an attack train over 1,000 fighters, fire over 3,000 rockets. Now, those rockets weren't built in some factory underground somewhere, uh, you know, hidden uh, quietly in the middle of of the Gaza Strip. I mean, that support is coming from somewhere, and you've got to believe that that's coming through channels like Iran, to be sure most likely Russia, maybe even potentially coming from North Korea. I mean, certainly there's evidence of North Korea beginning to help arm Russia in its incursion with Ukraine. And, you know, I'm I'm also curious about something. So we move the largest aircraft carrier in history into the region as our response in wanting to be there to defend our ally Israel. And I'm not criticizing that, but I find it interesting that when Ukraine was attacked and Ukraine, for those of you that don't know your geography, is part of Europe. They may not be a NATO member, but they are part of Europe. It's Eastern Europe, as far east as you can get, but it's still part of Europe. Ukraine gets attacked by Russia and we say, gee, guys, that wasn't a very nice thing to do. You ought not to do that. And we provide some armaments, but not much. And we allow this thing to go from February to March to April to May to June to October. And here we still are, about to round the corner yet once again. No real sense of decisiveness because we're not willing to necessarily engage in saber-rattling with Russia. And yet, at the end of the day, here we are in what is likely a proxy war, which is, by default, saber-rattling with Russia, it doesn't make any sense
0: it doesn't make any sense if we had had you know if we had 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 the courage of our conviction, we could have failed uh, uh, we and the British and the French all right it doesn't always have to be just the good old usa uh, and and Norway and Sweden we could have sailed ships into the Baltic and into the Black Sea at the beginning of this or even before the, the hostilities broke out in the Ukraine and prevented the Russians from occupying the Black Sea as their little lake. But we didn't do it. We didn't have to send an aircraft carrier. We could have sent a few uh, frigates and cruisers. But we didn't do it. So now, now it's like freedom of the seas exercises um, in, in the South China Sea you know and and that brings us to the domestic political problem you know these these uh these c- congressmen uh, and women um You know, do you think Marjorie Taylor Greene really understands that we don't send money? We don't we don't write a big check and send it to Ukraine and say, here, buy the armaments. We supply those armaments. We build those armaments. You know, Raytheon, who produces all those those Patriot missiles um, that are being used as interceptors in Gaza right now that are used as interceptors in Kiev. You know where those come from? Tennessee. Raytheon, since the outbreak of the war in in um, Ukraine has doubled the capacity of their plant in, in Tennessee to build more of these missiles. Those are American made munitions. Those are jobs and in and, and money that is circulating within our economy. And and the you know, if we send F sixteens to Israel, or we sent, or F-35, or we send them to the Ukraine. Where do you think they get built, folks? Try Seattle, Washington, and Missouri, you know, Kansas City, Missouri. We build that equipment here. We create jobs. The defense industry is an important part of the basic industrial capability of this country. And so when we start to say, oh, we're going to parse it here and we're going to parse it there, we're hurting ourselves.
1: Well, you're speaking to, I think, you know, a, a fundamental and frightening growing reality, and that is that the notion of the time when a a Individual that was elected and would be sent off to uh, Washington, D.C., was at least in theory and largely historically, with some notable exceptions to be sure, but largely historically true, that we sent our best and our brightest. That is no longer the case anymore, um, and I and I used to laugh. Um, political candidate would talk about, well, you know, when Mexico sends people here, which, by the way, they don't send; they come across however they get here, they get here, uh, that they don't send their best and the brightest, they send the uh, the criminals and so on and so forth. Well, guess what? Uh, Apparently the same thing has become true in another fashion when it comes to the body politic, that we no longer send our best and brightest to Washington, D.C. We send the ones that are capable of getting on television more. Um, One of the individuals that have tossed his hat in the ring who would like to take over Kevin McCarthy's old job, um, in the short order of 10 months has made no less than 565 television appearances on one network. 565 television appearances. And when I saw that statistic, I thought, in 10 months' time, wait a minute, we're, we're talking about something along the order of more than two appearances a day, seven days a week? Well, no wonder nothing gets done in Washington, D.C. They're too busy being on television. And demonstrative of a disconnect back there that we no longer have any sense of statesmanship. It has become pure politics. Now, that isn't to say that everybody that goes back there goes back with malintent. But uh, sadly, the outcome um, is is uh, beginning to demonstrate just how desperate we are for not only honest people, uh, thank you, George Santos, but also intelligent people. Thank you, Marjorie Taylor Greene, that are willing to go to Washington, D.C. and try to do something for the people of the country. And we'll talk more about that when we come back after a timeout. Joyce Cordy with us today, publisher of Reimagine America, longtime Bay Area radio talk show host. We're um, trying to make sense of a lot of senseless things today. Um, Some might argue an exercise in futility, but uh, come on, join us. We're going to try to reason together as the conversation continues here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back with longtime radio talk show host and publisher of Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Information, by the way, available on the web at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. We've been talking about the tragic events unfolding in the Middle East over the last 48, 72 hours. And um, and quite frankly, some of the tragic events of a political nature unfolding here in the United States. I, I guess the one thing, Joyce. That I'm hearing from more and more um, thinking people, thoughtful people, that there's a growing sense of frustration in our country where, you know, the body politic has been always uh, in the DNA of, of how we do things when it comes to selecting our leaders and governing our nation. And, you know, it, it's a combination of what the voters do, what the politicians do, what the K Street folks, meaning the lobbyists, do and and the con- contributors to all of these campaigns. Campaigns. And at the end of the day, though, we've historically managed to sort of, based on our system of give and take, um, come up with agreements. I heard it once said by a politician, look, if I take a vote and at the end of the day some people are happy, but not entirely. Other people are disappointed, but not entirely. I've probably made the right decision that you're you're not going to get 100% of the people winning 100% of the time. That's an absolute impossibility. And yet at least to be able to make decisions and vote on policies that will largely benefit for the good of the nation. The notion of partisan politics certainly always front and center when it comes to primaries and general elections, but then we used to have a silent agreement that when the election was over with Some people made concession speeches, others made acceptance speeches, and they went to the State House or the White House or went to D.C., and they hunkered down and they did their job for two years or four years. And it was all about making policies that would generally look after the best interests of the American people. Sadly, the political partisan infighting that used to be singularly a part of primaries and general elections gets carried with them. And you suddenly get the sense that if if a politician A is elected by uh, his party, he or she goes to Washington D.C. and represents. Only his party. There, there's no sense of compromise or give and take. And I know some people reel at that notion, but guess what? The very form of government which our founding fathers handed us necessitates a sense of give and take, of that compromise, in order to prevent gridlock and get things done. And right now, it just seems as if gridlock is the order of the day. I, I can't, could never have imagined four or five years ago if you said to me, yeah, there was going to be a battle for the House Speakership that would rage on for days and days and days, and there will be extreme degrees of negotiating going on. And then within 10 months, a a minor party figure that is neither a statesman nor considered to be one of the more brilliant contributors to the body politic would single-handedly be able to step in and um, essentially recruiting seven others, be able to come in and topple his own Parties' leadership just because, well, because he didn't do things my way. I, 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 if it wasn't so stunningly true, I would think it's a fantasy.
0: Yeah, it would. Have, it would have seemed like a really good novel a few years absolutely, ago. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Know,
0: but, but here's what hap- you know we we made a deal with, or some people made a deal with the devil in in 2016, and it got worse. All right. The fact that in, um, in Alabama, they not only did, was it, a, yeah, it is Alabama, that the Supreme Court said, no, you, your map is, it violates the Civil Rights Act. And they went back and they created another map that violated, and the Supreme Court had to come and slap them twice to get um, a, a reasonable map that gave uh, representation to 25% of the state's population. I mean, that's absurd. But, you know, Kevin Kevin McCarthy cooked his own goose. Kevin did the right thing for the country in getting that CR passed. And he knew he had a problem with Matt Gates. but he went on a Sunday talk show and he blamed the Democrats for the, the deadlock that you know, had created the CR instead of what he said on Friday, which was somebody had to be an if he had just stuck to somebody has to be an adult, twelve of the of the Democrats and they've admitted this, would have voted present or just not been in the chamber and, and McCarthy would have retained his uh, speakership. That, that's how crazy this whole thing is. So Kevin his own goose, They cooked ours along with it. All right. So we are at the point where did you see that second GOP debate? Yes. One at the Reagan, Reagan must have been spinning in his grave. I yeah. mean, why any with the exception of Chris Christie and to some extent in some areas like Pence, all of them are, are voting are, are running to be a Trump wannabe. Oh, yeah, I'll vote for Trump. I'll, uh, you know, I'm, I, you know, it was such a great, I'm trying to figure out what they did so well between 16 and 20. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well well I do find it a bit a bit ironic that 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 they are running against the man uh, and and yet will not give any articulate reasons why and then we have at least one of that happy group who uh, while certainly his performance in debate number one seemed to attempt to to mimic Donald Trump uh, nowhere near with the level of finesse or likability and then you add To add to that the extreme degree, I mean, we all know that politicians lie and are inconsistent, but uh, rare of the politician who will make a statement, uh, you'll challenge him on it, he'll deny that he ever said it, then you'll play the tape that he said it, and then he'll try to argue that somehow the tape you just played is out of context, even though it's his own words. And I think in the case of at least one of them, he got caught big time, uh, not only in criticizing George Soros to only find out, oh. By the way, he received a scholarship from the Soros Foundation. But they've been worse yet um, declaring a, a desire to reverse part of so called birthright citizenship and essentially gut the 14th Amendment, only to be confronted on the reality that he is a benefit directly of birthright citizenship because his father has never become a US citizen and his mother became a citizen after him so how does that happen so you know it it, it it really makes you ask serious questions about any of them up there on that stage and 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 we know what they're doing i just wonder what it is they think they're doing
0: I have, no, I have no idea. They're, they're wasting a lot of time and, and um, other people's money for no reason. And, oh, by the way, you know that person who made 565 appearances on one television network? uh uh-huh. while, while he claims to have gone to law school, you understand he has never passed the bar. <laughs> Oops. 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 And, and Matt Gaetz, uh, because he has such moral and ethical issues, <clears throat> had to give up the bar license in Florida.
1: Yeah, there's a lot so, of that surrendering of bar licenses a lot these of that days going around. And yep.
0: today, George Santos got hit with 23 more charges.
1: Yeah, I, I saw that, and you know, I, this is going to lead to a, a bigger and broader question. And I realize, uh, Joyce, in all fairness to you, uh, because I never like to sandbag uh, guests, especially ones that that I like and are friends like yourself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're going to put this squarely in the rhetorical question category. But you look at this, and you look. Look at the the pure sense of politician versus the old-fashioned statesmanship that's, you know, uh, apparently, uh, for a while it was on life support. Now I think we've just had the funeral and nobody announced it. But the sense of not having the kind of, you know, it's it's one thing if they're just playing partisan politics and games and it's all over an argument that's what we're going to name the next freeway. But these are real-life issues impacting real lives that have implications that go beyond just the Beltway to the heart of America from coast to coast, border to border, but even have global implications, as we discussed earlier in our conversation. And I guess the big question and, and the growing frustration amongst so many, they send people to Washington, nothing ever changes. There's promises to drain the swamp, and we find out once the swamp got drained, it just allowed the alligators to roam around. Around more freely. What's the answer to all this?
0: Well, um, we could start with better civics education. Yeah, so yeah people understood don't doubt. What Congress is supposed to do. Congress has given up. Congress, you know, they rail about the administrative staff, uh, state, but they have surrendered to the administrative state all of the responsibility for real governance. They just go out and parade and make minute appearances um on the floor or on television and run around collecting money to run for re-election we need a citizenry that says hell no we believe in the united states constitution which says we have three branches of government each one of them has a responsibility We've got checks and balances, and oh, by the way, the people who wrote that document as, and, and the Declaration of Independence were you know, farmers and lawyers and, and uh, you know, um, diplomats and all sorts of things. They were not professional politicians, and that's what we need to get back to. Romney, for example, yeah, Romney has been in politics for a number of years. He has also run one of the most important um, consultancies in the world in terms of 21st century economics, all right? He's a businessman. He's a decent man. He's an elder in his church, okay? He's had a life, unlike some of these other people. I, I mean, for the life of me. And I know lots of people from Georgia because I've done work down there, right? I can't understand how they voted for Marjorie Taylor Greene to start with.
1: I'll do you one what better. Have you her? have you have you ever read Lowen Boebert's book?
0: Uh, there is one.
1: Uh, the Lowen Lauren Bobert wrote a book, and if you want a, a most shocking, at the same time, inane experience, you've got to read Lauren Boebert's book. And if you do so, it will make you wonder what was going on in the mind of Coloradans, unless they were heavily plied with a little bit of the wacky smoke. Well, you know, uh, to make that first. decision. And let's put it this way the, the the behavior that we recently saw on television um, at a performance of Beetlejuice uh, is the norm, not the exception. And she and she openly admits to it in the book and yet the same individual that's touting uh republican values and so forth it's um it's an eye-opener to be sure
0: yeah it well i i yeah well you know i i'll have to think about that one <laughs> But you know but here's because we're going to run out of time so you know we're hopefully you'll invite me back and we'll talk about some of these other detailed issues You know that would be a service we could perform for your listeners. Let's talk about the the depths of some of the major issues that are being glossed over by these glorious—they're actors. They're not statesmen. They're not serious—you know—members of the House who want to legislate on your and my behalf. They're actors. So if we need, if we if if we're going to have Camelot again. Okay, some of us are old enough to understand that reference. Um, then we, we need a white knight. We need a bad luck. We, we have a, an electorate that 70% of them say, you're going to give us Trump versus Biden again? We don't want that. 70% of the American people understand the problem. Can we give them some candidates? Can we get the, the professional politicians out of the way? and give them some candidates who can inspire them. Now, I have some issues with some of Glenn Youngton's positions as the governor of, of Virginia, but I tell you what, this independent would vote for him in a New York Senate because he is genuinely a self-made billionaire and he's got the billions to back that up. All right, he ran the Citadel. He ran one of the biggest investment banks in the world. He is the kind of person who can look at a budget and say, no, that's not gonna work. I can't balance that book. You know, he is, he has the, and he's in his 50s, not in his 70s or his 80s. And i say that, you know, with all due respect for 80, right? Um, we need, we need new blood. We need to have solid business backgrounds who understand, who are not lawyers, who don't, who don't pontificate, who work, who get things done, who understand how an economy is grown. Okay. And we need it desperately. I don't think we can wait for 2028.
1: No, I'm I'm certainly with you on that point. Uh, You know, uh, even Trump himself has said that this is uh, by far, perhaps one of the most critical elections in our lifetime. And I think that's very true. And I think it's equally (laughs) frustrating that we're looking at a scenario where we really don't fully understand where where things stand uh, in terms of (laughs) what we're facing in the future, be it America's own economic peril or the political peril that we're facing or the global peril. And, you know, it, it would be a challenge for anyone, even even the experienced state person to address any one of these issues. Now, when you begin to pile one on top of another, on top of another, you begin to create a pretty frightening scenario. And uh, this is not a time for uh braggadocia. Uh, This is not a time for you know, trying to uh, you know flower one's own garden. This is the time for real statesmen, and the voters need to get serious too, and to really wake up and stop accepting the sound bites. Quit looking to Facebook and think that that is your news source. Uh, I hear from people all the time that say, "Well, you know what? Uh, uh, X or Twitter, or whatever they call it, Tuesday and uh, Facebook—they are my primary sources for news and information." Wow are you really in the dark? Frightening. Joyce Cordy, we're out of time. We appreciate yours today. I know it was a lot to unpack and a few items that we weren't anticipating cropping up in the news and prayerfully would rather they had not. But here we are nevertheless. Joyce Cordy, again, you can get information about her work online at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Six o'clock from KFAX.